When we read from Romans 5, the assurance of the peace that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and Paul expressed joy in that, he also, you heard the words, expressed joy in our sufferings. How can that be? Well, let us read Romans 8. And then we'll take up that subject in the light of Romans 8. It's a long chapter, but I'm going to read the entire chapter, though we obviously cannot deal with everything in it, uh, but we'll highlight uh, certain passages around the theme of suffering. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit its, it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are Sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit 
that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits eagerly for the with longing, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, or what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, has, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's people say, Amen. Well, in this fallen world, which is under God's curse because of sin, suffering is part of life. It's kind of an ironic statement. Suffering comes to all people in varying degrees, some horribly so, and some seem to escape the worst of it, but it comes to us all. And it comes in all kinds of forms. Uh, Business failure, job loss, family problems, sorrows, serious illness, death, grief, poverty. And for many in this country, and I would almost say most fellow believers around the world, it comes as persecution from the enemies of Christ for the sake of Jesus. How are we to understand this? How are we to understand the Apostles' declaration in Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our sufferings? The Bible answers these questions in many places. We're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 8. And four points. The first concerns the law of sin and death. We read of that in verses 2 and 3. The second, that Christ suffered for the sins that we have committed to free us from the law of sin and death. Third, yet even so, we Christians still must suffer. And fourth, The suffering of Christ completely changes the meaning of our suffering. Consider first the law of sin and death. That expression is used in verse 2. As children of Adam, who first rebelled against God, we were born into this world and we live under this Law of sin and death. The fall of Adam brought all of us under the tyranny of this law. We read in Romans 5 verse 12 that sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men and that all sinned. We sinned in Adam And we agree with Adam when we sin ourselves. Now death here is not just the death that takes place when the soul departs the body and the body begins to decay and is buried in some way. Death is death in all of its workings. Suffering in this life. The virus that gives you a cold would kill you if it could, and someday something will. But suffering in this life is all the anteroom to the suffering that takes us from this life. But it doesn't end there. 
we were made eternal beings. And either we depart this life by our spirits and go to be with Jesus Christ, the Savior, or we depart this life and go to a kind of anteroom of hell to await the judgment. And even that is not the end for death because the sentence of condemnation upon sinners is everlasting punishment. So death is a very serious thing. And when we speak of the law of sin and death, it's not a law you have to obey. God commands you to die, so oh yeah, I better obey God and die. That's not. <laughs> it's more like the law of gravity. The law of gravity works whether you think about it or not, whether you like it or not. When I was a boy, a neighbor boy, uh, thought that uh, he could be Superman. He put on his cape and he jumped off the garage roof and he broke his wrists. Uh, you know, wanting to disobey the law of gravity was not a good idea. It just, it, it's a compelling law. We have no choice. And the law of sin and death is like that. Our wills are so governed by the law of sin that we cannot obey the law of God. We cannot please God. We cannot evade death. Unless and until we are delivered from the law of sin and death by Jesus Christ. How does God send that deliverance? He does not send it through the law of his revealed commandments, his will. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear. We read from Romans 3, beginning at verse 21, but the preceding verses 19 and 20 say this, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world, it's not just the Jews, but the whole world may be account, held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God's revealed law has no power to deliver us from the power of sin over us. It has no prescription by which we may atone for our sins by works that we do and deliver ourselves from the law of sin and death. And so we need the blessing revealed in point number two. Christ and Christ alone sets us free from the law of sin and death. Christ, the eternal Son of the Father, came from heaven on a mission of liberation. Liberation from sin and death. He took our lowly human nature Continuing to be fully God, he became fully human. The creator became the creature, a mystery that's beyond our comprehension, but wonderful. And as our man, he bore in himself the guilt of our sins and the punishment we deserve in his suffering. 
In one sense, all of his life was suffering, having to live among those who rebel against him, who do not worship and honor him as they should, who break his commandments continuously every day, surrounded by all of this evil, which is contrary, absolutely contrary to his holy nature. He had to live and abide that every day. And then to be rejected by men, even by his own followers, to be rejected by men, to be put to unspeakable suffering. But the worst of that suffering was that the Father, who has only ever loved the Son, turned to him a face of just and holy wrath against our sins. He bore what we deserve. In the flesh of his beloved Son, as Romans 8 verse 3 says, God condemned our sins, and he condemned us in Christ. Christian believer, when Christ died, you died. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. That's what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. And as a result, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus now sets believers free from the law of sin and death. Free to begin to become the people we were redeemed to be and will be in all eternity. This freedom begins now. The new birth, regeneration, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life. The sp- yes, the spirit of life. He enables us. He draws us. He conquers our hearts so that we may turn in faith to Christ as we own up to our sins and repent of them. We receive from the Father his justification, freedom from the guilt of our sins, from the condemnation we deserve, so that verse 1 is true, blessedly true. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We receive in Christ and through his life of obedience and suffering, suffering on the cross, not only forgiveness for all our sins, but also the perfect righteousness of Christ clothing us so that God sees us in his Son and declares us to be righteous. That is justification. He adopts us as his sons and daughters. The Bible always says sons because it's a legal adoption uh, to a relationship in which we inherit all that belongs to Christ belongs to us by that inheritance. We are adopted as God's children, and he loves us as the Father loves his children. We receive the gift from the Father and the Son of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He enables us now to war against our remaining sins. He enables us more and more to live as God requires in his commandments. And so we read in verses 8, uh, chapter 8, 3, and 4, 
As God condemned sin in the flesh, in Christ's flesh, he did this in order that, verse 4, in order that the the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It was fulfilled for us by Christ, imputed to us in justification. It is now being fulfilled in us as the Holy Spirit leads and guides and empowers us. As he enables us also, verses 13 and 14, to wage war against remaining sin and to put sin to death. This is what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. And all the children of God are led and are indwelt and led by the Spirit of God. What a great blessing this is. And it all comes to us, the Spirit of life in Christ. It all comes to us because Christ came to liberate us from the law of sin and death. And he does so in such a marvelous, powerful, and gracious way. And yet, in this life, Christians still must suffer. Now for humanity, in Adam, under a curse because of sin, suffering is a foretaste of the terrible judgment to come on the day of judgment and eternal death under the just wrath of God from then on. So, suffering in all of its forms, whatever, speaks to us, should speak to our consciences, but it takes the Holy Spirit to make them alive. Suffering speaks to us about the wrath of God against our sins, which we deserve. But when we suffer as sons and daughters of the living God, Does it have that same meaning? Is it still telling us of God's anger and his wrath? And the answer to that is no. No. But here are the sufferings that we endure. And some of you are enduring sufferings now. I know to some degree I am. Very minor. I don't complain. Uh, Some of you maybe a lot more. But in addition to the common sufferings of humanity, which we share in, as Christians, for Christian believers, there is also first suffering, internal, inner suffering that we go through as we struggle with indwelling sin, with temptation, with the agonies of guilt, in that struggle. It's a spiritual warfare in which we stumble and have to be lifted up again and stumble and have to be lifted up again. There is discouragement with ourselves. There is inner suffering. And secondly, there is suffering at the hands of the hostile world. The world which hated Christ now hates his people. And Paul refers to that in Romans 8, verses 35 and following. 
Uh, it talks about tribulation, distress, persecution. And I think when he then speaks of famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, he's speaking of it in, ter in, in terms of how this flows out or manifests persecution. As it is written, he says, and he's quoting from an Old Testament psalm, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, I send you out as sheep among wolves. There's a cheerful thought. Our Lord warned us of this, warned his disciples of this in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. Verse 18, he said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, Remember this word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we should not be surprised, Peter says, at the fiery trials that come our way for the sake of Christ. All of this together, the sufferings that come our way simply because we're human, living in a fallen world, the sufferings that come our way in our warfare with sin, the sufferings that come our way uh, because we belong to Christ, and so many in the world really hate Christ and hate those who belong to him. All of this, I think, is gathered up and summed up in the expression of the Apostle Paul in 8.17, suffering with him. I'll read the verse. If we are God's children, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are God's children. If we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We suffer with Christ when for his sake we patiently bear with the sufferings providence sends our way, even as Jesus suffered the common sufferings of mankind. And we suffer with him when we bear the hostility of the world. In 823, a strange verse, not only does the creation groan, it's talked about that in the preceding verses, creation has been put under a curse because of Adam's sin, not only does the creation groan, but we also, even though we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now we have been adopted. We are the sons and daughters of God. Uh, and we have been redeemed in Jesus Christ, but he ties this to the redemption of our bodies, that is to say, the coming resurrection. The, the glory of the liberty of the sons of God is not yet fully realized. We've been made God's children. We have peace with God. We'll talk about some other blessings we receive because of Christ. But 
We don't yet experience the fullness of the glory of the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. That's something to contemplate. I mean, it's worth sitting down and contemplating what that will mean. Paul alluded to this earlier in the chapter when he said that uh, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. But then he goes on to say, the spirit is life. Oh wait, verse uh, 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. But if the spirit dwells in us, then he who raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise our bodies also. So we look forward to the resurrection when all the curse of God will be behind us, the experience of death in any of its forms will be behind us, and we will bask in the glory of our beloved Savior and the shining radiance and blazing glory of the Father and be so thoroughly filled with the Holy Spirit that there will not be a micromillimeter of our selves still contaminated or led away by sin. Isn't that something to think about? Well, yes, we suffer. But our suffering is completely changed by Christ's sufferings, death and resurrection. Remember again, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer stand before God in fear of his judgment. We have peace with God. We no longer stand before God as our righteous and holy judge who is angry with us for our sins and therefore imposes suffering upon us. It doesn't have that meaning any longer. Christ bore the judgment we deserve in our place. His sufferings fully atoned for us and fully, fully, he fully experienced the full extent of the penal judgment that we deserve from God. We are safe in Christ from the wrath of God. So what do our sufferings mean? Well, in part, our sufferings have to do with the loving Father's loving chastening. You read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens as a true father. And we read it, if we'd continued reading in chapter 5, uh, where Paul says, not only do we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. God uses suffering to make us better people. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Praise God. So I'll just kind of sum up here. Having set us free from the law of sin and death, 
God is now using our sufferings, the all things of Romans 8.28, for our good. And what is that good? How is it defined? Verse 29, he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So in a mysterious way, God is using suffering to sanctify us. That's a whole subject. And make us more like Christ. He is also using suffering, the good, the good that will come from this is that he will bring us to glory. Whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. And it's so certain that he will glorify us that Paul can speak of it in the past tense. And he gives us many helps in our suffering. The fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ as we weep with those who weep, as we help to bear one another's burdens, as we encourage one another, as we pray for one another, it is a great blessing and helps us in our sufferings. He gives to us the blood-bought privilege of prayer. We could not go to the Father in heaven in time of need and cry out for help if Christ and not borne our sins, and opened the door into the presence of God for us, and is even now interceding for us, unfailingly and at all times. We read that in verse 34. We have the indwelling, constant presence of the Spirit of God to help us. Sometimes, when we rebel and sin deliberately, and grieve him. That help comes by way of drawing back and granting us a season of coldness and distress until we humble ourselves and throw ourselves once again on the mercy of God and draw near and are restored. And that's the Holy Spirit's doing. God gives us the assurance of his Father's love and of our sonship. The spirit that we have received is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit who testifies to us that we are the children of the living God. God assures us that nothing can separate us from his love in Christ. Not anything demons do, not anything the enemies of Christ do in this world, not death itself can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We have the assurance that all of this suffering is temporary. So in chapter 5, he said, we rejoice in hope, in hope of the glory of God. We look forward uh, to the full experience, the full glory of our adoption as God's children, the redemption of our bodies in resurrection. The Apostle Paul says that there is no comparison between what we suffer now and the glory that will be ours in the future. And he repeats that thought at the end of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and following. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is wasting away, 
Our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. Now this is Paul who's been beaten many times, imprisoned a number of times, and so on. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are passing away. The things that are not seen are eternal. Therefore, in all of this, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we do not lose heart. For we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because he has set us free from the law of sin and death forever. Let us pray. Father, our God, you could well have laid the full weight of your condemnation upon us and which of us sinners could justly complain. But you have not done that. And why you have set your love upon us, we do not know. Except for this, that you intend to display the glory of your grace, the glory of your mercy, the glory of your loving character in the saving of your children. Even to the giving of your Son for us. And we thank you. Help us, Lord, as suffering comes our way in many forms, many degrees. To always look up. To remember who bore the suffering we truly deserve. And that now it is a sign that we belong to him and that you are sanctifying us. We give thanks and we pray in Jesus' name.